0: are all weirdos <laughs> Weird science is the revolution Weird science is the revolution Weird science is the revolution Hello everybody and welcome back to the Weird Science Marvel Comics podcast where we're going to continue with our new streamlined way of doing things and just about ninety nine point nine percent get caught up with everything that is going around. I'm actually going to leave one number one book for next week because next week not a lot coming out, a lot of just tie-ins to the dark web. nonsense, but we'll certainly cover those, but I want to have a a full a full breath of uh, a podcasting for everyone so. It's the Photon book that I will be saving for next week. And almost, almost got this out on the day it's supposed to, Sunday night. But we ended up having some issues with our furnace in the house. We didn't have heat for a day. We all almost died of carbon monoxide poisoning. All this great stuff that is life, love, and everything in between. But we're not here to discuss that. We're here to discuss Marvel Comics, which I'll be getting into. I have four books that I'm going to be talking about for you know, big books, maybe. Maybe not all of them as great as I was hoping they would be. But we'll get to that in a second. Because first, please go over to Twitter at WSMarvelComics. Follow us. We'll follow you back. Also, go to our website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com, where you can get written reviews each and every week. Mainly by Gabe, but also by my man, Dr. Carl. He's over there as well. And then go to our Patreon, Patreon.com slash WeirdScience, where you can help us out. For all the things we do here on the Marvel feed, but we also have the DC stuff going on, manga, and even throw some indie stuff in there. There's plenty of extra shows. If you like podcasts, I think that our Patreon will fulfill that need and want. Uh, we end up almost having 3,000 different shows uh, on there right now. I did look the other day and saw that we're getting close to that, which is pretty cool, I think. But also, before I go... Also, check out our YouTube channel where you can just look up Weird Science Comics and you can find that or all of this stuff will be in the show notes. You can click on our link tree that will go to every link. And we have a ton of stuff going on. But, yeah, if you just want to look it up, just look up Weird Science Comics and we have a bunch of stuff there. I'm doing a lot more video stuff, video reviews and the, and the sort. So with all that said and done, though, We're going to go off and we're going to get into the books. We're going to start with one from last week before we get into this week's stuff. And it is Ghost Rider number nine. I keep saying the same thing each time I review Ben Percy's Ghost Rider book. The art is pretty much horrifically fantastic. The one shot feel of each issue works well enough and feels like it's homage in classic horror comics like Creepshow and Tales from the Crypt. Sure, there is an overarching story. But I think most readers are fine seeing Johnny Blaze roll into town, stop the evil that lurks within, and then head off to the next adventure. Well, all good things sometimes have to end. And in this case, it seems like the party pooper is that overarching story I mentioned earlier that kind of shows up here. And it needs to finish itself up, even though it never really felt like it got started. But here we go with the credits. As I said, it's Ghost Rider number nine. Written by Benjamin Percy, art by Corey Smith, inks by Oren Jr., colors by Brian Valenza, and letters by V.C.'s Travis Lanham. I will read the recap. Previously, for some time, an entity named Exhaust was lurking within Johnny, severing his control over the spirit of vengeance. With the help of the X-Men Wolverine, the demonic entity was finally expelled. But Exhaust now runs rampant and under the leadership of Blackheart. They seek to raise hell across the country and stop Johnny and FBI agent Talia Warroad at all costs. Johnny and Talia's investigation leads them to Chicago, which has become a hub of supernatural activity. Meanwhile, their ally Zeb and his remaining council of night magicians also seek to stop Blackheart's plans. Now, all that said and done, it really never felt like any of that really was connecting very well or actually, like I said, getting started. And that's the big problem with this issue, and I'm guessing maybe next issue, because this whole story is ending next issue. This is the penultimate issue of this story. And then at the back, and I will read what they say in the back coming up later, they're just going to kind of reset things, new cast, new characters, new problems, all that. And it just feels like this meandered too long, And now we're in the two minute warning and you really have to put the pedal to the metal. The issue opens up where we left off in Chicago with Talia being chased by and chain handled by the spirit of vengeance. He's getting a little chainy. He is. If you don't remember, Talia and Johnny had pulled into Chicago. Johnny said that the city was sick, but he didn't feel good as well. I think he might have gotten his hands on one of those Chicago hot dogs. You know, where you're not allowed to ever put ketchup on it, but it's served on a poppy seed hot dog roll. Ooh, la la there. Talia ended up then planting a big smooch on Johnny's lips, and out came the spirit of vengeance. And Talia isn't dumb. She might be goth. She might be emo, whatever, you know, column A, column B. But she isn't dumb and knows what to promise, the spirit of vengeance. She promises sin and revenge. It likes the sound of that. They decide they'll all work together. Johnny is back, and it's off then to explore the Windy City. Now, remember, the Windy City, the hub of all this nonsense. And also, it's not feeling very well, so we're going to expect some pretty crazy things, and we do get them. Now, again, it's evident that with one issue left after this one, Percy suddenly realizes he has a lot of ground to cover. We end up seeing exhaust making his way to Chicago kind of on his own little highway to hell, and that is complete with Percy's heavy-handed narration that might fit better in an eighth-grade emo kid's diary. You may disagree with me if you like this book. I don't know how you can read some of this narration and not laugh. I mean, some of it really plays out that it's kind of like with a smirk, a little wink-wink, but it, it isn't. And this goes back when me and Jason were reviewing this book, at the very beginning of this arc, he really started telling me that this is just all set up to be a joke. That, you know, Talia Warroad, they're too over the top. They have to be a joke. And I know what he was saying. But I said to him right there, I've read a bunch of Ben Percy stuff. This is right in line with what he does. And it's so heavy-handed at times that it does feel like it's a bit of a parody, but it's not. And I'll give you an example of this. And just imagine you're there. You know, maybe you're listening to The Cure. You, you got the lights out, you got your black on, and you, you're writing up some things in your notebook to try to impress people, and you write, their spirits are doomed to watch the rest of us find the exit ramps they never reached. Oh, my goodness gracious. It sounds like an open mic night has suddenly broken out my hot topics. Well, back in Chicago, Johnny and Talia then discover a mass sacrifice in a church. They kind of walk in. Johnny says the spirit kind of pulls them towards nonsense. They go into this church. It's a horrific scene. I mean, people are dead all over the place in this bloody sacrifice. And they seem to shrug it off and leave. They they say, oh, my God, you know what this is? A sacrifice. All right, let's move on. They head off to the subway. They're not getting a foot long or anything. We're talking actual subway here. And there's looks like a homeless guy. He's there has got blood all over his beard. He jumps in front of a subway. They can't save him. He gets totally obliterated by the subway car that's filled with people, quote unquote, being driven to slaughter. Now, it looks great, but there's not much story going on in this issue. There's a lot of, hey, let's see this horrific scene. Hey, this sounds cool. Let's see that horrific scene. And then they keep moving on from that. Well, Johnny, Spirit of Vengeance, does not like the idea of innocence being driven to slaughter. So, boom, the Ghost Rider comes out and chases the subway car and eventually gets on top. And we end up having the flaming subway car with the Ghost Rider ready to kick demon ass. Now, Talia tries to catch up with Johnny, and she runs straight into exhaust. He has made it there. I guess it was a real quick open mic night at the Hot Topics. He makes it there. And that's what I'm actually more interested in. I'm more interested to see what happens with exhaust and Talia at the end. It seems like exhaust is choking out Talia. So I want to see how that is concluded. And I say concluded, which may shock some people because, yeah, next issue promises to be the ending of this arc. And then, as I said at the beginning, start fresh with other things. And I just we never really felt like we started this. but. So here is what it says for next issue, just to tell you what I'm talking about. Next issue, in the blood-soaked tunnels beneath Chicago and upon the horn altar of Hell's Backbone, the final fights of the Shadow Country arc will come to a startling conclusion. Blackheart, Exhaust, Zab and his magicians, Talia Warroad, and the Ghost Rider himself will each crash together. And not everyone is making it out alive. In the aftermath of these battles, a new chapter will begin featuring new allies, new threats, and the return of some familiar faces. So it seems like this is just, boom, done, and let's move on. And it just feels weird. It feels weird to go through this whole book and really meander in a way that some people were enjoying and then go, oh, yeah, yeah, about that overall story, we're just going to kind of end it here and we'll start again. Now, I'm saying that. Maybe next issue will really kick butt. Maybe when we get to it, it'll all make sense. It'll all be. But this feels like it is very much just thrown at you in a forced and rushed way. But we'll see. I have no idea how things can possibly end in a satisfying way. But this penultimate ultimate issue shows that Percy really wasn't paying attention to the game clock. And we have hit the two-minute warning before he was ready. So once again, the art's great. I'm going to give this one a 6.8 out of 10, and I'm really hoping that he sticks the landing next issue, but that's for next month, and we'll see. I just hope, because I know, again, a lot of people are enjoying this, and I'm enjoying it enough myself. I just ended up, it never felt like a complete story, and then boom, it's ending, so we'll see. I've said it enough, but hey, thanks for watching. Please end up subscribing to the channel, like the video, and enable those notifications. Let me know what you think, especially with the idea that this arc is ending. And from that next issue deal, seems like we're kind of going to push this aside and start anew. And now we'll move on to a number one, and a number one that I didn't know was coming out, but actually I'm pretty excited about. It's the Invincible Iron Man number one. I tried to get through Christopher Cantwell's Iron Man run. I really did, but after jumping in and out a couple times, I bailed, hoping a new Iron Man book would hit the shelves. Well, Jerry Duggan has arrived with one, and I did like this first issue better than what we got from Christopher Cantwell. But by how much, we'll have to decide by the end. And I'm not saying that if you liked Christopher Cantwell's run, you won't like this. But if you're somebody like me who just didn't dig what Cantwell was doing and really wants more of a classic feel, classic Iron Man, this book may be for you, because it also may be for me. But we'll start with the credits, as we always do. The Invincible Iron Man number one is written by Jerry Duggan, with art by Juan Frigiri, colors by Brian Valenza, and VCs Joe Carmagna. on letters. Obviously, I'm not good with names, but boy, am I good with faces. Actually, I'm not good with faces either, because I don't pay attention enough. But Here's what we go. It's going to be quick. This is going to be a very quick reveal. So, you know, you don't have to really settle down for this. I'm, I'm trying to extend the length here. Most of this first issue is told through narration, and Jerry Duggan does put us into the head of Tony Stark. And we find out that's not a real happy place to be. We get a quick recap of Iron Man's origins and get a bit of his current status quo as well. And then, boom, his apartment building blows up. And I mean, boom, boom, boom. It blows up to the high heavens. And while it's not Tony's fault, except that he kind of seems like he's targeted and it's his fault for just being Tony Stark Iron Man, there are deaths, injuries and lawsuits. And that last part does give us a she hulk cameo, puts Tony in more financial trouble than he already was in, which is cool, though, because it allows Tony to get back to the basics and really does feel like what Cantwell was trying to do and failed doing. In his run, especially at the beginning of his Iron Man run. Now, of course, Tony is going to try to figure out who is targeting him. And he does that by actually flying straight into a hulking flying suit that attacks him. Of course, you know, Tony, he's always going to have problems with other flying mech suits. And it does. It just bashes right into him. The fight goes on a bit too long but Duggan does a good job of showing Tony's attack strategy. This is where it does benefit us being in the mind of Tony Stark to see how he does things. See at points where, you know, he might want to bring this suit down quick, then he starts to think it's a dupe. Then, by the end, there's a real big twist that actually kind of surprised me as well as surprising Tony. Now, I know that I've been dissing Cantwell's run already, In this review So I'll ease up on that I won't diss his run right I'm going to diss somebody else's run Because this mysterious villain Did remind me a bit of the redacted From Lansing and Kelly's Captain America book The Sentinel of Liberty Steve Rogers book But Duganier plays things better And that crazy twist ending Again I did not see that coming Now all of this puts Tony Again in a very bad place We start with him already in a bad place But now it's getting worse. And I think, again, that's why I like being in the mind of Tony. We see when things are going wrong. We see what's happening. We see that there's demons maybe in bottles and they're back because at the end of this, I know a lot of people are going to roll their eyes because I kind of did as well. But at the end, it looks like Tony's back to his old bad ways. But. I'm willing to wait and see how this resolves itself and works out because I really did enjoy this first issue because it was a solid first issue. The art's good. Duggan sets up a cool mystery, throws some added stakes into the mix. I am worried when Emma Frost shows up and it looks like there's a little romance going on. I don't really need that. But for now, this is an easy book to recommend to anybody or somebody looking for an Iron Man book on their pull list. I'm going to give it a solid 8 out of 10 and it may not blow your mind. This first issue is not a, a mind blower, but at least it doesn't blow, you know, like Chris Cantwell's run. Boom, 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 boom. But you did enjoy Chris Cantwell's run. I'm not here to fight with anybody. I hope that a lot of people did enjoy it. It just wasn't for me. I like this classic approach a little bit more. But, and now we're going to go off to a book that I haven't really enjoyed up till now. I've been up and down. I'll talk about it, but It does tie into Dark Web, and I was really hoping it would be better. It's The Amazing Spider-Man number 15. Now, I don't think it would be a surprise to say that I've been up and down with this Zeb Wells run on Amazing Spider-Man since I've said it on the Marvel podcast a bunch of times and during a bunch of video reviews for this book. Plus, most people I talk to and listen to are even more frustrated than I am about the disjointed nature of this run. Now, Maybe it's not all Zeb's fault. This book keeps bouncing in and out of events, but that unfortunately happens to a lot of books. And in the end, it's his book with his name on the cover, and you have to blame someone, right? Here we go. Here are the credits for Amazing Spider-Man, number 15, written by Zeb Wells, pencils by Ed McGuinness, inks by Cliff Rathburn, colors by Marcel Menyes, and letters by V.C.'s Joe Caramagna. I'm going to read the recap here. Hell has been brought to New York City. Chasm, the clone of Spider-Man, has teamed up with the Goblin Queen, the clone of X-Men's Marvel Girl. I would have kind of liked them to have mentioned Ben Reilly's name with Chasm, but that's fine to exact revenge on everyone who has wronged them. But they aren't acting alone. Along with the demonic forces of Limbo at their disposal, the devilish duo has added two powerful allies to their side. Chasm's girlfriend, Janine Godby, who has been infused with the magic of Limbo to become the frightening Hallow's Eve. We won't see her in this issue, kind of, it's kind of just hanging. And in a desperate bid to return to Earth and find his son, Eddie Brock made a deal with Goblin Queen that reverted him and his symbiote into the untamed venom of the past. That feels really forced in my mind and ends up kind of, you know, diminishing the stuff that has happened with Eddie. And the whole King of Black stuff over the past couple of years, but it's just for this dark web deal. So maybe we'll let that slip. So what's going on here? Well, I said this book is part of the dark web. It's part of another event, but there's a difference here. It's a Spider-Man event and it's Zeb Wells' Spider-Man event. So this isn't just throwing Spidey into a lame hellfire gala issue. So why does it suck so bad? Why is it so bad? Maybe it's the -the over-the-top jokey tone that doesn't really fit what we got already from the event. We only got a little bit, but it still doesn't really fit that. And really, it doesn't fit this whole run of Amazing Spider-Man. This feels like it was written by some rando writer who they just threw on the book and mistook it for a Deadpool book, except it's not funny, kind of like the current Deadpool book. But hey, I digress. I'm throwing shade where I shouldn't throw it yet. We'll get to that later. The story picks up, though, with New York City being overtaken by demonically possessed objects. And I guess they're, you know, terrorizing New York City. The idea was never great. But this issue makes it a complete joke with sentient baby strollers wanting to eat kids and Christmas trees yelling and screaming at everyone. And the cartoony art of Ed McGuinness actually fits the premise. But it's a premise that is so bad that the art actually just makes things worse for anybody looking for a serious story here. And that's what I want from the dark web. I want something serious. I didn't know we were here to yuck, yuck it up. So is is there anything good here? Not really. We get a classic looking Venom, mentioned earlier, who kisses a baby. He jokes with Spidey about brains. We get a Ben Riley chasm who ends up reading a magic book that rhymes with Kamala Khan so that Kamala Khan could show up. Miss Marvel shows up and gets involved. You get a couple more jokes screaming trees, not the band, but the Christmas trees. It'd be kind of cool if it was the first one. And then a cliffhanger that just shows you nothing at all just happened for 21 pages. The ending is Ben Riley coming. Oh, man, Peter, I'm going to get you. I'm going to take you down. Well, that's not true. Something did happen during this. My blood pressure went up a bit. So you might have guessed it. I hated this issue. I hated it as a tie into Dark Web. I hated it as part of Zeb Wells' run. I just plain hated it. I'm giving it a 3.5 out of 10. I actually think I'm being very generous with that. And if I wasn't reviewing Amazing Spider-Man for the podcast or videos... This would have been the final straw and I would have dropped this book until another writer takes over and I said it already the biggest sin of this book is the idea that it's an event done by Zeb Wells he should be hitting on all cylinders here he should be showing everybody why this event is happening and why all these books are getting involved and yet he flubs it and he flubs it big time making it into a joke. And when you make things into a joke, people look at it as a joke. All right, with that piece of crap out of the way, let's finish all this up with a little Deadpool action. We're going to go off to Deadpool 2. Didn't love the first issue, but we'll see. Maybe things will change. They're not going to change. I didn't really like this issue either, but here is Deadpool number 2. I got some crap for not liking Alyssa Wong's first issue of Deadpool as much as some other people did. I didn't find it funny at all. And overall, I just thought it was a pretty lame start to a Deadpool run. So does the second issue get any better? Well, overall, this one at least gives me hope that things can get better as we go on. But that's not going to be from the comedy side of things. I think most people will agree with me that the jokes in this issue are not good. In fact, whether or not they are jokes could even be up for debate which is pretty sad. All right, here are the credits for Deadpool number two, and also I'll go through the recap because it's nonsense. Uh, Deadpool 2 is written by Alyssa Wong, art by Martin Cocolo, colors by Neraj Manon, letters by VCs Joe Sabino, and design by Tom Mueller. Way to go, Tom. You did it. You did the design. I was worried for you. Now, also... Probably the biggest joke so far and all we'll get in this issue is me butchering names, but here we go. Here is the recap, and get this. During the recap, you have little notes that Deadpool came in and made with this red marker. I I don't know, maybe it's just in my issue, but he he lays some zingers out there. Well, we'll decide if they're zingers. Also, get this. There's a picture of Doc Ock on the right side and he put two X's over his eyes. Oh, my God. I hope Doc Ock doesn't see that, right? Here is the recap. As part of his audition to join the Atelier, a secret society of elite assassins. Now, there's a note for elite assassins where you end up having Deadpool right on the side, some of whom happen to be uber cute. All right. Wade has been tasked with killing Otto Octavius, a.k.a. Doc Ock. Now, the a.k.a. Doc Ock is circled And there's the note on the side. This guy really lucked out in the naming department. Huh? No, it should be, huh? Because what the hell are you talking about? I mean, seriously, now I'm getting angry. Then we continue. But on his way to murder Doc Ock, he was captured by the harrower. Now there's a little note. Maybe we'll get some info. Maybe we'll get a zinger. Ooh, what are we going to find out about harrower? Here's the note. She may want me more for my body in, like, more of an alien incubator way, but I'll take whatever ego boost I can get. Yeah, okay, all right, now it continues. So infected him with a symbiote as part of her twisted experiments to destroy human life, and now a new carnage is hatching out of Wade's body. With the note at the end there, so not cool, bro. And after I offered it a snack. frowny face. This is nonsense. I mean, seriously, this is uh, on the level of just complete and utter bullcrap. Uh, hopefully things will get funnier as we get into the issue. Spoiler alert, they will not. This is the pinnacle of jokiness here. I mean, this is bad. So we get into the issue. What, what happens in the issue? Well, we start off with this three way fight still going on from the first issue. However, who is trying to get the Carnage symbiote out of Wade, or at least grab Wade so she can continue growing it. You end up having Deadpool. He's fighting Doc Ock because Doc Ock needs to die. He needs to murder Doc Ock join this fancy, you know, murdering assassins group. In the meantime, Doc Ock, what is he doing? He's standing around looking so confused that he's involved in this bullcrap. I swear to God, he's going to call his agent right after this fire. That agent, Doc, you got to get out of this thing. He looks like he wants nothing to do with this and is pretty much just yelling things. And, you know, everything gets all jokey and whatnot. Now, as this is going on, here's an example of some of the jokes here. Here's the jokey dialogue that we get from Alyssa Wong when the symbiote of Carnage starts pushing its way up in Deadpool's stomach. It actually looks like straight up Audrey 2 from The Little Shop of Horrors was hired to do an Alien remake. Even if you don't know Audrey 2, you can't look at this and not think that we're about to get an Alien joke, right? And you could make that... I've seen these jokes before, obviously, but you could do things different. You can make it funny. So what do we get from this? Deadpool says... This is worse than eating bad fish and chips. It's like if the fish and chips were alive and trying to eat me back. Okay, first off, that makes no sense. Second, it's not funny. So what are you doing? Why are you wasting everybody's time and money with this lame crap? And later, Doc Ock freaks out. There's a lot of examples in this book of where I don't even know if it's supposed to be a joke. Was that a joke? Wasn't it? And there's a weird play here where a lot of this issue, Alyssa Wong completely misses the jokes that she seemingly is setting up. And I think that a lot of people reading this, like myself, will be there noticing, oh, my God, this is a setup for, oh, it didn't set up anything. And it's bad when you're reading it and you realize that there's something there that she didn't. But later on, Doc Ock freaks out. He gets covered in blood and guts from Deadpool. Deadpool kind of explodes out. You have blood and guts everywhere. Octavius is just freaking out, like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Harrower throws this zinger at Octavius, and this really felt like it was time for a zinger, time for a joke. She says, don't be a baby, Otto. It's just a bit of icor." Okay, yeah, it is. <laughs> Where's the fun? And, again, that's the problem with this book after two issues. The joke's hardly ever hit. But even when Alyssa Wong sets up the joke, she doesn't realize that she's setting him up. So what ends up happening throughout this issue, I generally was confused at points, thinking, I think I missed a joke here. I think this was a joke, but was it? And it, is, I don't know. And so finally, I realized, oh, it's nothing. There's nothing here. Now, I do understand a good Deadpool book isn't just jokes and pop culture references, but Alyssa Wong's story is already off the rails after two issues. So I am torn a bit with adding Lady Deathstrike here. However, she is the best part of this issue. And the gag that she was always teamed up with Deadpool to kill Ock, but he didn't seem to care or notice, was actually the one funny thing in this issue. It reminds me of when we found out that Deadpool was actually part of the original Secret Wars in Deadpool's Secret Secret Wars, plus the back and forth between the two actually had a spark that wasn't there for the first issue and a half of this story. But story-wise, lame jokes and fighting just continues until Deadpool manages to escape and shows up at Valentine Vuong's apartment. That is the cute member of Altelier that he was smitten with. Now, Deadpool never did kill Doc Ock, so he's not going to end up being part of the fashionable Altelier assassins group. That, though, is not really the concern going forward, because what we get out of this first two issues is Harrower and Doc Ock team up to take down Deadpool. They're both pissed off at Deadpool, different reasons, but. They're together, okay Lady Deathstrike is still pissed off at them, Which I think is cool And I want to see more of that And then Valentine looks Ultra sus at the end In a kind of symbiote Interested way, we see a Little play there that looks like All of this was a setup So here's the thing After a lot of nonsense A lot of jokes just Failing to hit over and Over and over, by the end With what you ended up getting set up in these two issues, there could be something good from this point on. And I'm actually going to be here to see if that happens. Maybe what should happen is dial back what you're attempting to be humor. Maybe go more into pop culture references, because that's actually a lot of the things I like from Deadpool. Alyssa Wong seems to just want to tell straight up jokes. I am surprised that we didn't get at least two or three knock-knock jokes in this, but I'm going to give Alyssa Wong a couple more issues to show us what she's got. Things can easily improve story-wise, and these first two issues seem to just be the vehicle for Deadpool to piss everyone off going forward, and that's always fun. It always happens. It's kind of an easy deal, but he did it. I mean, Alyssa Wong did make everybody pissed off at Deadpool, so maybe that'll work. However, the comedy part, is just way off the jokes aren't funny the timing is way off because of that it all feels forced which is never fun but the art's good and overall I am going to give it a 5 out of 10 but it's one of those 5 out of 10's that I'm hoping that it could get better I'm not going to say that I think it will but it could and I'll be here to see if it does alright so that's it <laughs> that is it It'll end on a bit of bummerous, but hey that's how we play this game each week. We get books. We don't know. It's a crapshoot, but eh, maybe things will get better. But thanks, everybody. Please, as you go off to do whatever you might be doing, maybe it's holidays or maybe you're just heading to work. I don't know. But please remember to check out our Twitter, WS Marvel Comics. Follow us. We'll follow you back. Go off to our website, WeirdScienceMarvelComics.com. Check out our YouTube channel. Weird Science Comics, and then go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash weird science. All of these will be in the show notes, all the links to click and clack and whatever. But that is it. Thanks, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you continue to enjoy it and all the rest of the shows. The Weird Dose of X with Ruben and Jason and also me and my man, Dr. Matt, on the Star Wars episodes each and every week. But thanks, everybody. And I'll talk to you all later. Go read comics You are all weirdos <laughs> Weird science is the revolution Weird science is the revolution Weird science is the revolution